I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever-it-takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hard-working tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to grimleys.com.au for delivery that you can count on. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of Life of Brian. Brian, what's going on? Uh, not much happening uh, these days. It's it's this time of the year where everything's in in sort of holding pattern mode. You know, uh, we've just had the Melbourne Cup. finished. Yeah, Melbourne Cup's done. just done. Uh, you know, uh, players are just slowly starting to go back into their own training programs, yep. and eventually, teams. Uh, I think this week or the the mid November or early November, all the one to four year players yep. go back to their clubs, and then yep. the the rest join later. So. So it's just starting to fire up again from a football perspective. Yes. So just before we get started, we are proudly brought to you by Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies. Been seeing those trucks and vans everywhere. The blue and white. They are the best in the world and they deliver same day. Absolutely. Um, first cab off the rank is a little bit of footy chat. We're talking trades. Um, any big, obviously the, the trade period is done now. It was done a while ago, but any of the big trades stand out to you? Perhaps you want to talk about Ginevan, the, uh, any backstory there? Yeah, Ginevan probably. He's the one, and, and a lot of people would wonder why, you know, a premiership player would, would be traded. I was, I was gobsmacked by it. I, I suspect that the reason was that when he was dropped, I think it was mid-season or early season, I can't remember now, it might have been mid-season, when he was initially dropped, my understanding is he didn't handle that well and he went back sulking and didn't have the right attitude to, to get back into the team. So they left him in the VFL and waiting for the attitude to was turn around. Was that like the first time he'd been dropped uh, in a big, in a big way? Might have, might have been. I don't know. I, can't, I, I don't know the detail yep. of that. But what I do know is he wasn't handling things that well behind the scenes. And so they left him, left him. And I think in the end they were happy not to play him in the finals in the end, but it got to a point where they needed him. Um, and so they did play him in, in the end. And, um, you know, he, he could consider himself lucky. But I, I, I do think it was because of the... The attitude problem, um, you know. What did what did Craig McRae say? Read the read the room a bit when you go to the races the night before a grand final, like Mooney Valley, that sort of thing. I just think you've got to be smarter than that. And I, you know, I look at players like that and I go, uh, uh, who'd they get from Schultz? They got well, Schultz. It was a different trade. I know but they it was a different trade, but they got Schultz, Schultz in. Yeah. So Schultz, hardworking, you know. Absolute salt of the earth guy that's yeah. going to give you every inch you, you that he's got in his about body. A lot of the players you over just, West, but I can he's just, a gun. I've never met him, yeah. and I can just tell he is an absolute goer and worker for the team. Yeah. So you'd rather have that sort of guy playing as a permanent forward um, than perhaps yeah. Ginevan, who's still. I reckon his attitude will eventually find the right maturity yeah. you level. He'll thrive at Hawthorne, and or it'll take a little while. And he will. I reckon he'll take a little while to get yeah. that right. But eventually, he'll get it right, and away he goes. But it's just now 
Um, I just think it was the right move for perhaps Collingwood to unload him at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, and it might, might there, sound like we're talking. You, you want to say one and more? And there thing? are a couple of others probably at Collingwood that have had similar issues yeah. that I think they're working on. So it's not as if he is the only player. Oh, no one's perfect. Um, yeah. And there will be others that they're working on as well, I'm sure. Yeah, it might sound like we're talking about Collingwood here, but there was just a lot of movement around yeah. the Collingwood's team. So obviously yeah. Grundy was a previous player, but Grundy's now moved to Sydney. It seemed like they're gearing up. They've yeah. got Taylor Adams as well. So what do you reckon the plan is for Hickey then is is, is – uh, you know what's? I mean, we saw what happened with Gorn and Grundy. Mm. So now we've got Grundy and Hickey. Oh, Grundy's a star, like he should uh, be. Well, he is, and he yeah. should be playing. There's no doubt. I can't believe Melbourne didn't find somewhere to put him. But now he's going to go up there, and is he going to be in front of Hickey? Don't know. Probably is. I mean, he was battling Gorn, who was the number one ruckman in the competition. Mm. So probably you would think he would start ahead of Hickey, although Hickey has been very, very impressive for the Sydney Swans. Yep. Does that move the dial for Sydney? Yep, I reckon a little bit. Helps them, but still don't think they're a a final four team. I think they're a finals team. So 2022 was a bit of a, an anomaly. Yeah, I think so. Yep. yep. They're not quite there yet. Yeah. No, yep. I don't think it's going to be the, uh, the matter of them winning a grand final, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, next topic, the AFL draft. Yeah. What's B- bit of a lack of buzz no, no, and I, knowing no, players in no, the draft? No, I just think this is generally, this is not about this particular year. I just think there's so much that we, the public, and we, the media, don't know about these draftee kids because we don't have the college system that the states have where they get to mm-hmm. view them on TV week in, week out over one or two years. Yeah. We don't have that. We have a, uh, uh, we on, have a system that's not covered really by TV. On social media, we see a lot of like highlight packages of certain players, but all I see well, okay. pretty much is Harley Reid and that's it. Okay. Like, that's the only person I know. Harley Reid's going to be the number one pick, right? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you now, left or right foot? Right foot, I assume. You don't know. That was a percentage um, guess. <laughs> is he a hardball getter? Um, I think he's like a big you big you, mid. You don't know. Yeah. Um, is he a fantastic mark overhead? Yeah, he's pretty good. No, you don't know. <laughs> See, this is my point. Even those that think they know don't know. So yep. someone I can sit have someone here now that's um, not directly connected to recruiting, and and they'd say, oh yeah, he's, no, he's a great right footer. I'd say, well, is he better short kick, long kick, medium kick? Is he kick the drop? Blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't know. So what my point is, we you don't really find out about these guys until they get to the level. Remember. The kid that they see playing as a 17-year-old and then drafted as an 18-year-old, he may have already fully matured. Hmm. So one of the hard things I understand for recruiters is to pick a player that's got more development left. So you, you don't want to be playing your best football when you're 18. If you're playing your best – and you know how you go to local leagues and someone always says to you, oh, there's this player over here, he's fantastic, he's won the last three best and fairest. Yeah, he's won the last three best and fairest and he ain't getting any better than he That's is now. That's so interesting with and, clubs tactically. And, yeah. Do they go for the best player available or they go for no, fit you, or potential? You go, you go for the one with the best upside, upside. that's got the best development in me. I think if you're recruiting and you're looking at a player, I'd say one – and I don't know this, I've never really asked them, but I would say one of the things they definitely look at is how much improvement is there in this guy? Mm. Can he improve from where he is already? And I would say that's the num- number one thing they'd look at. Yes. And then there's the skills and all so the, the other So the first components. three picks, I think, are West Coast and then North Melbourne pick two and three, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, None of those teams want to win now. No, I know. So, but yeah. you're missing my point a little bit in that, and, and I haven't made it that well, is that when they <laughs> arrive at AFL level, we really don't know much about them. And some of them succeed and some of them don't. 
Yeah. And it's only when they get to the AFL level that we start to find out about about them and what they're good at and what their good points are and what their weak points are and then whether that can be worked on or resurrected. Is that guy not strong enough in the com- in, in, in the contest? You know, all of that sort of thing. Mm. So bit of a bit of a weird thing. I don't know where I was going with yeah. all that, but anyway. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I appreciate your honesty that you butchered the uh, presentation of it. That's good. Did I? I don't know. You you said you did. Well, it, what I'm can I sum it up in a sentence? It's a guessing game. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, you never know. And on the draft, the commercialization of um, we're chatting with Scotty before the show, producer. He was saying that they're now doing the broadcast or the draft over two days to try and drag it out a bit. And but we don't know the players in the draft, so there's actually no interest. Well, this, around- this is my point before. I mean, college system in the states, you see them play week after week over a couple of years, at least one year, and sometimes two or three years. But we don't see them play, so you know, I. Not sure um, whether we're up for a two-day draft event. I mean, it's, it seems to be very commercial. It seems to have an odour of uh, the AFL wanted to stay on the front pages with football news, which is fair enough. They do everything they can to have football as the number one thing in Australia. So I get why they do it. I congratulate them on doing it. But I just don't think that our draft system is um, – the people involved in it just aren't known well enough to be able to hold up a two-day, you know, uh, TV extravaganza. Moving on, um, and this is a bit of a new concept, and I don't know if it'll last. We're just working this out, and this is a working title as well. Brian's Content Corner. Do you have any rec- what Content Corner? Brian's Content Corner. I just made that up. What then. the hell is this? I don't know. It might not work. It might work. Let's so just give it a question? go. The question is: Do you have any recommendations for the audience around what are you TV shows about? or movies or books? Anything you've been into lately? What are you watching at the moment? I'll tell you what I've watched. It's a strange question and it was a question without notice. I bet you this will go off. i tell you what I've watched recently that I was – I watched all, I think it's five episodes in one hit. I just went You're bang, 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 bang. We call that binging yeah. in the millennial generation. Was, by was Beckham. Beckham, David Beckham. And it turned me – number one, it reminded me – of how good that guy was. I'd forgotten how good he was. I thought he was just a really good kick. Yeah, we know nothing about global soccer so, in our family. So really. David Beckham um, played with the three or four of the best teams in the world and then went to America and played with a not-so-good team, but the, that Donovan guy, what a pain in the backside he was. But anyway, <laughs> Beckham, one of the best shows I've seen. I come away, and Tanya and I both watched it together, she come away thinking a lot more of um, of. Of, Victoria, of Vic, posh. yeah, posh. Yep. Uh, she thought she was fantastic and honest, and sacrificed her her career yeah. for his career because he moved every two years. He's saying, "Come on, pack up. We're going to France now. Come on, pack up. We're going They're to America incredible, now." Incredible couple, uh, and she was just unbelievable. And the vitriol that he got on the back of the of uh, the, the World red Cup, card in the world, yeah. the red card in the World Cup, and you know all of that sort of thing. It was if you haven't seen Beckham yet on Netflix, I think Netflix, it's on, Netflix, yeah, it's on Netflix. Go and watch it. It is absolutely awesome. powerful, fantastic. And I know it was it it was the series was produced by them, wasn't it? It was owned and produced. They had some say in it or something. Oh, I I think so. Yeah, yeah. there was an, an American so made, guy who produced it, so it yeah. made them look very good. But I think it's real. But he was super honest when yeah. when he knew he when when there were things that were like on the fence that he might have stuffed up. He admitted to it in the interviews. Yep. He's like, 
I fucked that up. Like yeah. I embarrassed that person. No, or he I was just a ripoff. They were good. both just a really not. Well, they weren't a normal couple, but he was from a normal background. I'm not sure about her background, but yeah, um, they they were just absolute rippers. I I defy anyone to come away from watching the Beckham series and say that you you don't think more of them as a result of having seen There was one great scene. So they did these interviews. So they, they'd go back to certain references and they'd either have Vic on the couch or David on the couch. And it would they were talking about, Vic Victoria was talking about how they were both from like working class society and their parents didn't have much and they weren't from much and they were very humble growing oh, up. Oh, yeah, and he and, said, and, and, and tell him how you used to go to school, what <laughs> car your dad drove you to school in. Beckham was in the doorway. And he like, had to tell ask, him, be honest. And he had honest. to ask five times. Yeah. And Victoria was like, "No, we're very working class. Tell them what car your dad drove you to at yeah. school." And, he's, <laughs> and she's it, like, "And she uh, said a Rolls Royce." Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harrison. Well, what a guest we've got today, hey? Yep, we've got Mick Malthouse. Yeah, absolute legend, playing and coaching. Seven hundred and eighteen games as a coach, most games ever coached by any coach in the history of the game. Three-time Premiership coach and Premiership player. Um, he's sitting there with his head wobbling at the moment, <laughs> aren't you, listening to yourself. You, you've got to be pretty happy with what you've achieved in footy, don't you? I don't know if they're pretty happy. I've just um, – Maybe that's a good question. I've heard, really. I've heard you speak about this before and, like, as a spectator, there's no doubt that you've reached the pinnacle at the top of the mountain in what you've done. But you've, you've spoken about before that you don't think you have. No. I, I Look – I guess it, when you go back to how I ended up getting a game with St Kilda for a start off, that was probably against the odds yeah. because um, I I was desperate to play football. But I, see, unfortunately, you you really don't know. See, what you don't know, you don't know. And I didn't know where I sat. I was a Collingwood supporter, but this competition was run by the by the, then the VFL, which you had distinct. Uh, uh, gradings of where you played, and I was zoned to St Kilda, and that, that was fine. It didn't. It didn't. You're from, from Ballarat. I'm from Ballarat. Yeah. yeah. So to be, be zoned to St Kilda meant that you had to be invited down, and uh, there was no invitation, and it was really frustrating because I oh, mean really? I put in some big efforts to yeah. see if I. I was running up in Best and Ferris for North Ballarat. The, the the winner there was Stewie Gull, father son. He went to South yeah. Melbourne. We got on really well. Played our fiftieth game. To, uh, the same same weekend, but anyway, so I went down and, and played in three practice matches at the end of seventy one season. So that's the start of seventy two. And you got to remember that the Saints were a really good football side. They yeah. got beaten in the grand final. So I'm I'm in awe. I'm down there looking around at legends you know, everywhere. Yeah, Cowboy mm. Neil and Carl Dittrich and Barry Breen and Tubby Lawrence and all these superstars. So when I when I played the three practice matches and I knew I didn't play, I thought I played one or two okay, but I. I took a, a crook back in from the previous year and a tap on the shoulder and said, look, son, go back to Ballarat, enjoy your footy because you're not going to make it. And, and you accept it because, you, you, you know, the area I come from, you just accepted a lot of things. And, you, and if you didn't have it in your hand, you didn't have it. Mm. So a lot of things can get promised. So anyway, uh, very long story short, I got invited back a few weeks later and that sort of started my uh, football in, in VFL. Then... Uh, as you know, Brian, uh, a few years, uh, four years later, I went to to Richmond, and seven, eight years later, I, I started coaching. But it was in my late twenties when I thought I, I really love this sport. I want to stay in it. So my ambition then was to coach 
and I was certainly not setting any high marks. So I thought, you know, if I went back to Ballarat, that'd be good, or we need a state, that'd be interesting, even though we've got three kids at that stage, or two, two, then the third one came along, then the fourth one came along when I was coaching. Uh, so shock to me was getting asked to coach the dogs. And that came oh, about by. So you, you say that's a shock. I, I, I was there at that time at Richmond when you were in and we all thought you were odds on to want to do something like that. Well, I did, but not. I never thought I'd ever coach uh, that high level. Straight away. Because yeah. you went straight into senior coaching, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You didn't do an assistant no. term. How old were you then? Uh, I got the job when I was 30. I was coaching when I was 30. Geez, that's young, isn't it? Yeah, but that was nothing compared to the basketball coaching I had. I had one season of coaching <laughs> basketball. I had, I had my leg in plaster, so I couldn't from head to from from toe to hip. I had a reconstructed knee and ankle. So even that, I thought, well, that's the end of my football. Um, so, you know, people said you, you you can't play from that. So I took on this side that had so many big heads in it. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> I've heard about this side. One, one there, could be, there could be one in the room. Yeah, well, yeah, one one is in the room because um, this is how they paint themselves up. I'm a state player. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so this I, is while you were playing at Richmond. Yeah. End of the se- end of 1981 season. Yeah. Uh, we decided to form a little team and take it and play it down at Sandringham. So <laughs> so Brian was one. He's a state player. Oh yeah, he's a state player. So I had Brian Taylor. Then we had another state player from Tasmania, Michael Roach. Then we had uh, the state representative Mark Lee. Yes. Um, we had we had a genuine representative who did play for uh, Graham. Uh, Graham Dennis, uh, unfortunately, Graham passed away yeah. a few years ago, but he was part of it. So Rob Wiley, yeah. who's never learnt ever to tag, and I, I don't know if you tag on the basketball court. But I, had him, I, had, I had him tagging. Yeah. Um, Dale oh. Waitman come along for about two games, and yeah. he kept on grabbing blokes. I'm thinking, why is he grabbing blokes? He did too. Yeah, no this idea. would be a typical footballers yeah. playing basketball. Yeah, but he'd, he'd had a few before he got there. Yeah. So that sort of. And the whole competition hated us because we were rough. Greg, don't forget Greg Strawn. Strawn Greg Strawn. Yeah. He just had one way. And that was straight. Straight, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we, the finals, the finals set for a, a a day Tuesday, let's say Tuesday, and we we are training. We're back in the football training by this stage. This is like so not allowed in today's football. No, but not allowed. But not only we were they were they were making sure that we couldn't even play in the grand final. Anyway, somehow or another, we've convinced that we should play. We ended up winning by a point. Yes, we did. We won by one point. Who mm. was the star of the show? Uh, well. Brian will tell you he was. Probably yeah, the state well, player. He's a state player. <laughs> he's a state player. Roachy thought he was. Mark Lee, oh, they all thought they had a piece of it. But they all, look, we all got a medal. Yeah, yeah so we won a premiership. But I, look, it was fantastic. But um, so that was my first and last basketball coaching. And then I moved on to coaching. So, so, so just before we move away from the Richmond, my, my memory of the Richmond thing was two things. And I don't think another, a lot of people know this about you, Mick, because you're very guarded about how you let your own personality. Um, uh, permeate through society, but you were the fun of Richmond. You were the prankster of Richmond. You were the hardest uh, gym trainer at Richmond. Um, I can remember a day in the car park at Richmond, there was a guy by the name of Johnny Robinson who was a former Richmond mm-hmm. player, successful businessman, drove a gold Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. which to us at the time was just incredible. And this still is, it still is. And this gold Rolls Royce, and I remember Jim you Smithers, and a couple of guys, um, Jim Jess, 
Jimmy Jess, uh, wrapped a dead possum that had been in Yarra Park for some time in newspaper, somehow got into the Rolls Royce and put it under the seat. Can you believe he left it open? And it, he left it open and it permeated, not immediately, but maybe a week later it started to permeate and eat the maggots reading the carpet in Johnny Robinson's Rolls Royce. <laughs> this was all led by you. You were you were the absolute prankster. Trips away, I remember going to Hawaii with you with a, with a group of players over there and it was absolutely fantastic. But you were the prankster at Richmond. Uh, and, um, and, and, and that's a long question. Can you repeat that question? Well, you were the prankster at Richmond, and then all of a sudden, when you went into coaching, that that stopped outwardly. It might have been happening still within the club mm. that we didn't know about. Um, I, I did like a, a, a fun time because I, you know football is very serious when it gets down to yeah. across that white line. Um, I still remember. Look, there's there's so many things that took place, and you know most of them. Brian had come about when the club's showing a little bit of success. Mm. Uh, Jimmy just had a squealer, a little piglet that he caught in the bush and left it in Michael Roach's locker. That's right. Well, that went around the room about 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> but just little things like that that just break up the tension because we, um, we were going through a pretty difficult training session. You know, like, uh, everyone thought that we were soft, so therefore Tony Jewell thought, that we need to be hardened up on the training track. I remember it. And, yeah. uh, so there's just a few little bits and pieces. And I like to think that, that business is business and you can enjoy each other's company. So. Do you remember those? You were talking about those pre seasons, Mick, Tony Jewell hardening up, no water. No water. And, and, oh, yeah. and Peter Grandow, trainer. Yeah. Anyone drank water? It was a sign weak. of weak, weak, weakness. Weak. No water Col- in the Col- summer for hours. Colin Waters. Yes. That is ridiculous. He collapsed. <laughs> waters eye- for the week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he collapsed and his eyes rolled back and he was sort of rolled over with someone's boot to say, well, look how weak he is. You know, oh, the poor it, bloke. It was unbelievable. There's one summer I remember particularly, it must have been the 78 or 79 summer when TJ. Uh, 79. 70, when he took over. And as you say, we needed to toughen up a bit and. And we would train for three or four hours oh, yeah, yeah. over near the tan, running the tan, then these exercises we did. Yeah. It was just staggering, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the thousand push ups, yeah. the thousand sit ups. I actually reckon I heard one bloke's groin or his, his <laughs> um, hernia went, and I thought, well, that doesn't sound too good. That was about his 450th sit up, you know. So, yeah. in, the, no. in the early 80s, if you're. Uh, pre-season training, just one session. What's a big uh, What's a big session look like in terms of the running you would do or the? Well, what I noticed at Richmond was that when I first went there, a run around the tan was your was your warm up. Then you'd get timed on a tan, which is three and a half k's or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you get timed on it. Next coach comes in. It's one one rap, rap, lap around warm up, two laps to, to be timed. Then the time Berkey took over. I reckon we spent all night running around. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so, when I when I look at Anderson Street Hill, everyone we used to fear Anderson Street Hill. I go back now and like it's it's like barely a hill. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not that far. It's, it's not that hard. Um, the other thing I remember greatly was uh, the 1982 Grand Final, and I remember you'd done your shoulder in in the weeks leading up to the Grand Final. Um, you'd worked hard. I think you only had about a 10 because we'd won and got the week off in straight into the grand final. I, I think you had about a 10 – you dislocated your shoulder and you had about 10 days to get it right. You were you were the world bench press champion at the time. <laughs> you were built that strong in the chest and I can remember you squirting out weights when you're trying to rehabilitate this shoulder and it just, it just got stronger and stronger to the point where you could actually train, which was unbelievable. And then on that last night, 
Um, you're out there with completed training for the 82 grand final. The side was basically picked. It was Mick Malthouse was going to recover and all of a sudden Francis Burke said, uh, before you go, Mick, before you leave the track, I just want to give you a little bit of a test over here. Mm. And all of the players sat in the terraces there and watched this this uh, mini fitness test take place between Francis Burke. It wasn't a mini test. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it went on. It, would, it, it just went on and on and on. It was almost like Berkey wanted it to finish in disaster because the length of time that it went. Did you feel that if you hadn't have gone through that test and, and pulled your shoulder out at the last moment, the last time he went to grab you, pulled you, if he'd stopped 20 minutes in, would you have played and got through that grand final? Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I have no hard feelings, bad feelings at all from Berge's point of view. He's a yeah. coach. He, he has was to a do tough it. man, yeah. He has to do what what he has to do because, again, it gets down to this, you, you get the, like, I, I know in, nine, nine, in 1979, going into that 1980 preseason, I know the Richmond hierarchy thought, hang on, They've spoken to doctors. He's got a. He's had semi knee reconstruction, a full ankle reconstruction. No, he's, he's not going to play. But you don't. Again, you don't know these things. So well, I, I was working, so you don't have time for physio. So I just rode my bike to work, rode at home and rode everywhere, and just did all these things. Played the first game. I was operating in October. Yeah. So played the first game. In the under 19s, I was 27. That's what. Yeah, in practice match. <laughs> Oh, in the practice match. Yeah. So that's why I knew that Richmond was going, you know, it's easy right. out. Right. So next week I was in the seconds. Jeez. And the next week, before the f- first game, first the last practice match, I was in the seniors. And so, so in I, three weeks, three different groups. Yeah. And because I, I knew that I could I knew how my leg was okay. Yeah. I felt okay. Because no one told me that you're not supposed to do it inside of three or four months. Yeah. So you just do it. Yeah. And it's the same with the shoulder. When, when the shoulder popped out, I thought, no, this is not going to stop me. I'll, I'm starting to lift. I lifted weights the next day. I remember it. I remember And it. I thought, well, can you do any more damage? I don't know. No one told me you can. Yeah. But I, I knew then that the doctor said, I oh, know, because I remember talking to the – Dr. Benny Weiss? Uh, Maybe? Or was no, it the shoulder it, doctor? I think it was – no, I think it might have been – Dr. David Marsh. Dr. Death. Okay. Yeah, Death. Death. Um, I nicknamed him Death too, by the way. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Uh, death. Who was that? He's a ripper, David Marsh. Great fellow. Yeah, just, just um, lives in Richmond. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that they'd said, oh, he won't hurt. But I, when I got back training, so I did all the weights and everything. So by the end of the first week, I started training in on the ground. And then on the Monday, I started training. And then Tuesday, I trained. And Thursday, I thought, no, this is, I'll get through here. And, and look, it was going to be a, a tough grand final, but mm. I was prepared to, you know, get out there and have a crack at it. And uh, yeah. So Dr. Death, why did you name him Dr. Death? He. Uh, this was a doctor at Richmond. Is it? Yeah. He. He. Um, Who, by the way, was a great doctor as well. Yeah. And he's a great doctor. Yeah. And, well, he he, he had certain methods that were, oh, all legal. I mean, yeah. just, <laughs> where, where are we going with this? No, no. But you, but you, so you've got to understand the system in those days. Like you'd walk in and you'd go, and I remember walking and going, Doc, these ribs aren't that great. And he wouldn't have even known I had, which I yeah. did. I had broken ribs. Yeah. But and he go oh, okay, we'll just put a little jab in it, and uh, come in at half time. You go look, it's worn off, doc. Okay, give you another jab. Yeah. You go ahead in. Like a cortisone or something. Or... No, it'd be a painkiller. Yeah. yeah. 
But for some reason or another, I don't know why I called him death, but he. But we used to go back to a hotel, a different hotel every Saturday night after the game. And he's walked in and he's standing in front of the fire and I've gone, look at that, death warmed up. And so that, <laughs> that, 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 that it stuck. Dr. Yeah, death. Dr. Death. Yeah, Dr. Death. Yeah, I know, no, he's yeah. a, a great. Ah, uh, yes, half time in this episode of The Life of Brian. Now, I'd like to give this message. I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever-it-takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hard-working tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to Grimley's com.au for delivery that you can count on. Amazing. And I do one of one of the things as a young player at Richmond at the time, which I was very young coming from Western Australia, Mick and, and the family looked after me and uh, cared for me for a couple of years there. But one of the things I remember was you worked at a place called the Motor Accident Board, which yeah. was the government end of motor accident claims. That's right. Basically. And you were very senior there and it was just on the corner of Spring and Flinders Lane, I think it was, yeah. somewhere there. We used to meet you there and then we'd walk to the Commonwealth building yeah. up the other end of Spring Street, um, big green building that's Friday. now been knocked down for Friday lunch. lunch. I think we got it cheap or fish and chips or something. Well, what it was just was... to get together yeah. because if I remember we had Doc, was, was I think Benny Weiss used yeah, to Yeah, Benny Weiss used to come, Dr. And, and Benny Weiss. We had it, too. it was just a matter of, again, I, I think, Brian, one of the things about today's football was players live in each other's pocket all day. Yeah. Whereas we had jobs to do. We trained on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. So a meeting on Friday just to get with your mates because we all knew we played at 10, 10 past two. Every side played yeah. at 10 past two on a Saturday. Yeah. So I think the more we spent together, the way I looked at it, and I think that's a sort of rub off on my, my coaching is that the more you spend time together, good quality time together, yeah. not always under the pressure of training, the better relationships you have. And the yeah. better relationship you have on a, on a football field – then you make things happen. Yeah, you, you do. You, you're not. You're not. It's not foreign to you. You know. You. You know. I take um, the the Australian basketball side just recently in the Nash, in the in the national in the world championships. The world championships. They yeah. just lost it. And, they, and one of the things they said was, the the mix, good mix of good players, but no communication. Yeah. And and so, so it doesn't matter in any sport if you don't have that chemistry, then it won't work for you. So. So those lunches, I can remember you'd write the team down and it was almost like you were, in a way, delivering on behalf of the coach what was expected of a couple of young players that you might have taken to lunch. You know, Brian, you're playing in this position this week. You'll be playing on this guy. He's good at this, this and this and this is what the team will look like roughly and 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 that was the sort of setting of it, Harrison. We were there yeah. for, yes, camaraderie and, and building the relationship, as Mick has pointed out, but we're also there, I think... I think Mick was uh, almost saying to us, "This is what this is how it needs to be," without saying it, mm. sort of thing. And uh, that was the start of your your coaching because we were all shocked when you went off to coach a year or two later. After uh, it was eighty three, you went to coach or eighty four. Eighty four was my first year. Eighty four yeah. was your first year. Yeah, so eighty four and first game was Richmond. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Were you were, thirty years of age as you said when we started? 
were you sure you could do this? Well, look, remarkably, I've got to say, because of mid mid twenties forward, I was just I was just analysing everyone, uh, not in not in a, a thing of of, critic, of criticism, but just looking at methods. And, and look, I was coached by two blokes, who, uh, coached by five five players, all premiership players or coaches. But but I, I come out of it with, with one one thing. I remember, and I've said this before, so excuse me repeating myself, but um, Alan Jeans would say to me, Mick, we keep them to seven. We will kick eight and win this game. Suited me down the ground. Really defensive, grind, you know, just in the trenches. <coughs> Got to Richmond. Tommy would say, Mick, we kick 30. They won't kick 31. I thought, wow, <laughs> he's right. So There's multiple ways to win the game. There's multiple ways of coaching. Coaching. So that gave me great uh, scope in my thought process of thinking, I'm going to coach the way I want to coach, but I'm going to take a little bit of everything I see. Yeah. I've got no fear of saying, you know, Jeansy, I'm grabbing this off you, I'm grab Tommy, I'm grabbing this off you, or Bone Richardson, I'm taking that off you, or whatever the case may be. And then I overthrow with my own thoughts because they've said to me, that's eight goals and that's 30 goals. They've won premierships. So who's right and who's wrong? Yeah. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. There is getting it. There's, it's, you know, I know this is a, you know, it's a saying and I, I adhere to this so religiously. There's consistency is totally overrated. Right. Because if I have Brian Taylor come to me as a senior player and go, Mick, I'm a bit sore and a hammy, I go, Brian, go inside, see the physio. But if I had Harrison come to me, a young player, doesn't really know his body, says the same thing, I'd say, Harrison, do four or five laps and just see then. You're not going to break down. Now, there's no consistency there. Yeah. So, you, so what I'm saying there is everyone's an individual. Yeah. Everyone's got an X factor. You've got to treat people the way you see them, but you've got to give every one of them the same type of feel that they walk away going, oh, he cares or, or he's interested or I can get better on, or I can be a better player on this. You know? See, this is where I think you're good because I remember when I was very uh, – I was a very short time helping out at Collingwood doing some kicking with a couple of players and I can remember some of your coaching sessions there and you talk about styles and which one – I can remember you doing on a Thursday night before a game the final sort of um, dress rehearsal of what needed to be done on the weekend and you were always about, hey, guys, this is how the opposition play. Mm -hmm. This What we're going to do in this next drill is the way that we can Don't stop them doing and the way that they're going to come at us. So get used to it. In the next 20 minutes we're going to be playing and we're going to, you know, what we've learnt during the week, you need to be able to defend that particular play and you changed ever so slightly each week on the way the opposition played. And I just reckon today that perhaps some don't do that. They just keep playing the way that they mm. want to play rather than what the opposition is going to throw at them as well. Yeah, I, I guess one of the things I, I keep hearing is, oh, look, we, we only worry about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, look, go to any sport in the world, that's fine. You, you've got to look after yourself. Yeah. You've got to, your principles are the same, but your strategies have got to vary. You've got to vary. It's, look, if I if I took West Coast to Geelong, I felt very comfortable because the ground was similar to Subiaco. Right. So we would practice um, for a westerly wind at, at Geelong and rarely we were beaten there because we were able to con control the game. But I wouldn't take that game to the MCG. Right. So if you're playing the dogs at the MCG, which we played in the final, probably my last, in fact, I think it was my second last game at West Coast, 
then you, you're coaching along the lines of of Terry Wallace's team. This is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to come at us. We have to change or we have to vary things around a little bit. A little bit yeah. um, and, and sometimes you're dictated by what's available. I, I remember uh, Chris Wardman being sent half back for three or four weeks. We had, we had a spate of unfortunate. We lost oh, seven or eight players through ACLs in the space of a year and a bit. It depleted our defensive socks. So I played Chris Wardham sent half back. Now undersized, yeah. Now he's six foot one. Yeah. So so you build your side around a ru- running then. And then you're getting your ruckman standing virtually helping him in the air, but then getting Chris to run. So that's a bit different than saying oh, Glenn Jakovich is there. Yeah. Um so th- th- these are the things that you know, I really enjoyed at at uh, at coaching was be to be able to Play chess, if you like, on the football field. When you when people speak about successful coaches, is there a sort of secret sauce? I was only at an event, um, and Damien Harbert was speaking yesterday. Would you agree that the two sort of main important things, forget about game styles and plans, is the connections? So connections not only with the players, but building that community, but also not putting boundaries on the players and letting them express themselves. Well, there's an old saying: is is play the game. You know, you can go through all your strategies and everything else, but the thing is, play the game, and that—that's virtually saying express yourself. Like, even if you drew Banfield, uh, say Paul Curie, two of my better tagging players, their role is to play on Toby Bearstow or say uh, Josh Franco. Right, play on them. But if the ball's there, play the game. Don't look around finding where where those two players are. The ball's a meter in front of you. Get it. Get the ball. Best form of defence is to have the footy. Best form of defence ever is to have the football. Mm. So work on that principle. Uh, and if, you, if you're if worried about him getting a lot more of the football, then work on the principle of, of taking him away from the football. But, um, yeah, you're going to develop relationships. And, and that's not easy because not every player – there are players that come along that – virtually look at you and go, you're a father figure. And the longer you're there, you become that father figure and almost become, I, I still like the, the arm's length away because he can make good decisions. But there's others that say, I've got no interest in you being my father. I've got a good father. Just coach me to, to get the best out of me. Yeah. You know, I, I can say that categorically. And you're accepting of that? Oh, you've got to be. Yeah. And I have no no fear of that. Yeah. Look, there's, there's, and I'll name two players, two of, Great players, uh, Daisy Thomas. Yeah, I had a relationship with Daisy, and still got a great relationship with Daisy. Um, he he would be any time I stopped to talk at quarter time, three quarter time, he would be right in front of me. Where if I moved, he would walk in front of me, and he'd just take it all in and he'd absorb it and way he goes. And we had a, we still got that relationship. Scotty Pendlebury, he would analyse what I've said, and go right. That's what the coach wants. This is how I play, but within his framework, because yeah. he's a different player than, than yeah. Daisy. He's, he's got. We've got a good, strong relationship, and it'll be and it'll be probably enhanced when he finishes because he's still playing. But it's a different relationship. Glenn Jakovic and, and Daisy very similar because right. uh, you know Glenn lost his father at fifteen. He 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 almost craved that, that feel. fatherly feel. Yeah. yeah. So so you coach along those lines, but you do never ever. Put, impose yourself on someone that that just wants to be coached, and mm. I'd say fifty. It's fifty-fifty, really. Yeah, yeah. I recall hearing about um, when a new person would get drafted, a new player would get drafted. You'd take them down to your place in Lawn 
and spend a few days with them? Was that to build that relationship, obviously? It's twofold. See, one of the things about today's football, like from 1987, I'll say 87, because that was the first year of the draft, is that you, your group, if you, if you do take them away, they go away generally, say, let's say, the start of your pre-season, which is October in those days, early November. So you've got all that old group goes away with you. Then you have a, a, a draft. You draft in four, five, eight players. They haven't been away. They've missed that, yeah. They've, they've totally missed that. They go into a grinding pre-season. So I mm. go, no, nah, what we'll do, we'll go away so they can know me. And was it individuals or no, no, whoever no, was I'd take that No, I'd take that, that group. group. Yeah. And I'd take them with the physical – it depends how big the group is. Sometimes we take a doctor. But we always, always – Wherever we were, it wasn't only just lawn. We went to Tasmania. The, the, the camping down there was just—I don't know whether I'll ever go back there. It was, it was fantastic. It was right. fantastic. But we went caving. Yeah. Right. And one—I'll tell you the story. But but anyway, so but we went to um, Mount Kosciuszko, and you always end up with a fire, with seats around the fire at night, talking lot. Talking, yeah. And out of that comes some of the greatest stories because then they go, wow. And I go, I didn't know that. I mean, I've, I've recruited this player. The fit of the recruitment people have said all this about him, where he comes from, all this sort of stuff, but I did not know that. That's a great introduction for an 18-year-old that's coming to a club, probably yeah. very intimidated, to get comfortable immediately. Yeah. You're sitting around a fire with the coach. That's oh, it's, 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 but it's fantastic, though, because yeah. the, the, you work on both days, before and after. Mm. Uh, the Tasmanian ones, because – we used to take them down Mole Creek in Tasmania, and it's a three a three chambered um, cave, and the seat you're sitting on that's the entrance. It's that small. In fact, I've taken leaders down there where Anthony Rocker couldn't fit his shoulders through. <laughs> so you you put all this gear on, you got the helmet on, I got the got the light on top of my helmet, and 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 the, the there's a young girl who was running it, and she said, "Well, I'm going to be a young girl, but she's a small girl, so she can fit down these caves pretty easily." She said, "Now put your arm in." And there's a rock in front of you, and drag yourself through. There's a there's three inches of water that you've got to keep your head above. And I'm thinking, oh, oh okay, I could cope with this at this stage. So you go through, and all of a sudden you hear water. So you tumble down inside this cave and walk around for an hour or so. And that would be horrific. He was, hates caves. Well, let me say it was unbelievable. Now, I used to nick off at school in Ballarat and go down the cave, the, the, the mines and this sort of stuff. and. If it ever caved in, no one ever find me because I could have, <laughs> might have taken a day off at school, Brian. Um, <laughs> but one day I woke up and I thought I was sweating and I thought I can't go in this cave. What am I going to do to this players group? <laughs> and uh, so I had I remember one was Brad Dick, so it was his group. Um, what have been Harry O'Brien? Um, there was a really good strong group, but there was Nathan Brown and and and. Uh, Ben Reed, so I've got to the caves. And I'm thinking I've I've worked this out. So I said to the, I said to the I talked to myself. I've gone right. I don't need to do this. I don't have to prove this to anyone. Anyway, so I'm looking, at, and all these kids are looking at me, and they're staring right into my face, and I'm starting to sweat. I'm thinking, <laughs> no, I'm reckoning I'm right here. Reckon I'm right here. And uh, she said, look, we're going to go a different. We're going to go down a different hole this time. Well, I'm, going, I'm, I'm looking at it and she's gone. Now, when you when you get to it, you take a deep breath and breathe out because it's so tight. Oh, you don't no. want to <laughs> and I've gone, wow, these boys are going to be in for a hell of a day. She's gone, coach, you go down first. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I can't back out. 
I scraped my ribs all oh, the way down, God. got inside, the players got in there, walked around for well, what seemed like an eternity. We got out the other side, thank God we all got out. And we climbed uh, devil. We climbed the mountain, cradle mount. We did yeah. all sorts of really tough things. So round the camp we are. We're sitting there and uh, thinking, oh, this is good. Thank God it's all behind us. And I said, boys, what did you enjoy today? And they said, oh, the devil's devil's lookout was fantastic. And the climbing cr- cradle mount was outstanding. And I said, but what about the caves? No, we hated the caves. <laughs> and I'm going, but why'd you do it? We did it because you did it. <laughs> and they didn't know the fear that you had. I know. I was absolutely packing it. But you know. And I know, this, I know I'm, you can cut this off out of your yeah. story. But of those players, I think five or six played in a grand final, right? And it's amazing how life quickly goes before your eyes. We've won the, won the, the premiership. I've been called up. 2010. Called up 2010. Grabbed the cup and it was freezing. The cup was, was because of the metal, it was freezing. I had a flashback. And the flashback was immediate, and I, I, I can categorically tell you this: the flashback went straight back to those caves, and then I looked. But while at, you're standing there holding the yeah, cup, yeah, it just went straight to it. And the flashback was scary because what it was it wasn't about the cave. I remember talking to Nathan Brown before the match, and I said, uh, "So two weeks earlier, Nathan Brown, because he was in because of pressure coma, being injured." You're going to be playing on rewind, oh, mate, mate. You were by halfway through the second quarter, third quarter. Your lungs are going to be exploding. Your legs are going to feel like lead, mate. You cannot give up. Your teammates will need you. Rewind. Once he picks it up, that you're showing any weakness, he will just keep running. Grind it, yeah. And and you, uh, Benny Reid. I said, Everyone Kaczynski. If he takes one big mark over your shoulders, mate, I can live with it. If he takes six on the lead, I cannot live with it because you're going to let down your teammates. Stand in front of him. If he needs you in the back, he needs you in the ribs, and he's going to come at you. If you're standing there, he's just going to absolutely smash. But I need you to be in there, mate. You've just got to stand your ground. Uh, Sherry Wellingham had something else, and so he must have been the other one. Yeah. And, and whatever I said to him about playing on Hayes or playing on uh, Del Centre or whatever it was, and it went through my mind, I wonder if I hadn't have gone down that hole and here I'm asking these blokes to do that job, would if they have gone, yeah. hang on, Mick, you didn't come down this thing. You're asking me to stand in front of... Kaziski and you might make me yeah. chase Rewalt, and I and I then thanked that I went down that. Isn't it strange how yeah. that on the that hairs, moment, the hairs on my arm are standing up, me. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, incredible. That, that, yeah. That's that's exactly went right through my mind. Yeah, that, that that is amazing. On on 2010, this is one of probably the greatest days of my life. I'm a Collingwood supporter, right. by the way. Um, there's a f- story of after the draw grand final, you had to go to a function, and everyone. No one wanted to go. Everyone agreed to go. I was, I was at that. You were at that function. I it. Yeah, there's a yeah. story about. I don't know if it was yourself or Eddie talking about this is half time. Talk us. Talk no, us that was that. Mick. Well, well, what happened? The you, you win and lose games by a percent. And I knew um, the last because I've got the camera. I've got a video thing in front of which says the rundown clock of how many seconds are left and blow up all the bits and pieces the coaches have got in front of them. So I looked at the clock and thought, we can't win this, but we can, but we can lose it. So it was a boundary throw in. So in my mind, I'm watching um, McAvoy ruck against, I don't think it was Jolly at the time, I'm not too sure it was. But I, I knew that Del Sano would come across the face of the pack and go left, get on his left leg. 
and Hayes would come across the, the front of the pack with his right right leg. But every now and again they change it up because they know that we know, so therefore you're blocking off you might be blocking off space. But the fundamental thing was that if they drop the ball at their, at their shoulder, we had to fill the little gaps, only a half a metre gap. I needed players, and we and you always talk about this. So these are little things you you tell players during the during uh, training for the game. So this particular game, hundred thousand people, last six, eight seconds of the game, have they remembered it? All you need to you just want players who respond to those instructions to get in that position. So my mind was. There's the boundary throwing. I can just see they're going to open up this little gap and are my players going to take the role? So as soon as it was thrown in, I just saw Thomas take one spot, Penby take the other, and I thought, we're right. We'll, they switched we'll, on. We'll, we'll stop this. Yeah. And as it turned out, it, it fell into the little gap and they stopped at eight seconds. So I went onto the ground and the AFL bloke came across to me. I think it might have been Scotty Taylor and said, um, your rooms are flooded, so you can't go there. The change room. That's change room. right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. The sewage has come through. You can't yeah. go there. Um, a, a little aside, my wife has put up with me for 51 years in football. Um, we met when I was my first year down at St Kilda. She couldn't watch the game, so she went downstairs and sat at the end of the race getting information because she just knew that she said, I've picked the switch I can see the momentum switch. She's picked the switch right. during the, th- the third quarter, yeah. so she was out. Of, she went down there and sat <laughs> down nervous. there, too nervous to watch. So we got so we got told to go across the. Well, I felt comfortable because it was Richmond room, so yeah. we just went across the other side. And my mind was, we're going to have the function because you've got all your loved ones down here. We won't. We'll keep off the grog, but we'll have the function. So. Did you guys know at the time that there wasn't going to be extra time and all that? that no, I knew that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know the rules. So I was in the crowd and everyone was like, no one really knew the rules. It was like <laughs> yeah. we didn't know what was going to happen. There was this players lying on the ground yeah. thing. That was my third final draw. Right. So you, you so coached well 50, yeah. 50 odd finals. Yeah. You just you, you're a bit of aware of yeah. you know, the. So Sorry, to interrupt. Back to the function. So, so, yeah. yeah. So I knew there was going to be. I knew it was a draw. So we had played next week. So. Um, what, so we spoke. I spoke with Jeff Walsh and Eddie and this and stuff. But it was a no-brainer. You go back to the function because you need a relief because you can't bottle up things for too long because the body won't take it and the mind certainly does not take it. So you need to release and start again. So that was decided. And that was an easy decision. But I went back to the players group. I said, boys, um, who wants to go to the function tonight? No players put their hand up. I thought, well, I've read this wrong. Then I said, well, who doesn't want to go back? No hands. So they're waiting for leadership. Yeah. They're waiting yeah. for someone to put. Yeah. You know. So it was it was an easy one. And and as I said to you, Brian, you know, it's it's half time. If you treat it as half the match, which it was. And that, this is exactly what you said on the night at the function. Yeah. It's half time. It's half time. Let let's look let's, lick our wounds, get over it by Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We've got one bonus. We don't have the parade. We can just be by ourselves. Normal build up. Yeah. Normal build up. Let's get the side together and and we'll 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 finish the second half. Yeah. yeah. And did you make changes to that team? One. Leon. Leon was out for... That broke my heart. Well, it broke mine. And, my, and mine. It broke mine. Because it's, yeah, Matt, what sort of decision is that? Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, if you knew the result, if we're all, in hindsight, better prepared because we know the result, you go, well, Tyson, you can play next year. Yeah. And Leon, you play this time. So was he compromised or was that just a tactical decision? Look, he, he he didn't have a great lead up. Yeah, his history in finals, big grand finals, was not good, 
and I had to take all that in consideration and look at St Kilda and think, um, in my mind I'm thinking Baker's got him and Baker's coming off an injury. These are things I weighed up. Can Baker repeat it a game again? Can Leon get a break away from him and, and realise that he has to work harder and, and, and Baker would then be, you know, tongue hanging out? So I couldn't trust that to all come together. Yeah. But I thought an easier one was to get a, a, a multi-positional player in and gives us back mid and This is what the experience of eight grand finals does. You can make these decisions when you've been in that place many, many times yeah. before. Well, the funny thing, Leon was playing forward and then the next year he had an awesome year was All-Australian all Backman. That was all Australian you know, forward, yeah. All-Australian back. Do you know he left football as an All-Australian? He, he did not play. After he won the All-Australian at the end of that year, he didn't play a game. He yeah. left as an All-Australian. I think Two in a row, wasn't it? All Australian forward, and then, then an defender. Back. Yeah, he was great in the back pocket. Gee, you were yeah. a good one-on-one player. That is for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, one thing I'm interested in. That, that's the Collingwood side of things. But just when you went to Perth, and uh, uh, with the West Coast Eagles, was it deliberate for you? Because this is what I noticed about your your personality is that it was almost like you had to shut everything out, shut everything out of your life that you'd done in Victoria, mm. and and you had to show the people in Western Australia that you were there for their club. And so all of a sudden, because I can remember going to your press conferences, I was a, I was involved in the media then and you were the coach and I'd sit up the back in a lot of them and I was petrified. Even though I knew you and had spent a lot of time with you and was good friends with you, I was petrified to ask anything, and so was every other <laughs> press guy in there, because you'd you'd question their question, and they'd have to substantiate their question, and they don't like doing that. Was was it deliberate there, to to separate? Brian, it was, it was interesting because look, um, I don't think I'm that bright, but one thing I, I knew that to go from Footscray to to West Coast when there's a few things that I didn't know and there's a, a lot of things I did know. I knew, one, that being a Victorian, you're an Easterner. It didn't matter whether you come from South Australia, Queensland or wherever, you're an Easterner. So therefore, you're distinctly different from Western Australia. As they'd say, you're from the Eastern States. That's right. Yeah. Two is West Coast are on the nose because they, they, the public, thought that they were robbing them of a Western Australian Good competition, yes, which they didn't realise because their waffle was really strong, Harrison, but massively in debt. There was only one club that was solvent, and that was Subiaco. All the rest were broke. So the so the government, well, I think it was a very good job by the government. A couple of years before me getting over there, put in place a commission and made sure that the funds they could still have the eight sides in the in the WAFL and let the. But the West Coast, when I got over the West Coast, I got called in. Again, this is, this is total naivety. I hadn't had a contract. Didn't see my contract until I got over there. Um, called in by Peter Tannock, who was the head commissioner, and he said, I hope you realise, I don't think he really liked me at the time, um, we're broke to the tune of, I think it was about $6 million in football. In those days, that's a lot of money. money. Um, we... So, so that was number one. Number two was the board, who was headed up by Terry O'Connor, great bloke Terry O'Connor. Yeah, ripper. Said, the board virtually said to me, can we win 11 games? Now, I know this is, I'll, I'll paraphrase all this, but 
And I thought, what's 11 games got to do it? Well, we can't win away. And they had Polly Farmer and Barry Cable on the, they were on the committee at that stage as, as in the match committee. Uh, Barry, fortunately, wasn't contracted, so I was able to move Barry out and, and said to Polly, he's so negative, Polly, he was saying, you need to be five goals better, Mick, because we can't travel. And I thought, well, that's the last thing my players need to hear. And unbeknown to me, no side in Western Australia ever won at the MCG in 120 oh. years of football. Juniors, seniors, state, nothing. Had ever won at the MCG. So we expected to go across there and try to win a premiership without playing at the MCG, winning at the MCG. So it, I had to get rid of a lot of negativity. And the media, like, I, like we didn't, contrary to a lot of people, what people think, we used to have to ring up, Trevor Nisbet used to have to ring up, ring up nearly every day to find a training venue for us because we didn't have it. We were using the Subiaco Seconds Room as our home, as, that was our home ground advantage. Seconds room at Subiaco. Yeah. The three-tier stand was all Subiaco. So in other words, anyone who went there paid, they, Subiaco got that money. Um, we trained in various positions, uh, grounds rather, and quite often we'd go and move all the all the retech stuff, train, put it back together again. Players, the players were outstanding. They put up with this, which I, I thought was amazing because they wouldn't know we were training until they rang through. So you've got to, and that, helped to me, I thought, this is fantastic. This has helped building a bond here. These players really feel quite comfortable. Bit of a chip on the shoulder. Well, no, it wasn't a chip on the shoulder. They were quite comfortable having to go through this. Um, the next phase was um, we – once the travelling was was an issue and we would – we weren't allowed to have pre-season games. So you have this pre-season competition. We yeah. weren't allowed to have it. So we had to travel every one of them. And they said, oh, no, we go across there and we train. I got across to the first time. We trained at Princess Park. They had a truck in the middle of the ground. They put tractors somewhere else. They put they, 30 yards around the goal square. They said, oh, you got that 15, 20 metres there. And I'm going, this is rubbish. Yeah. No, we're not doing this anymore. What's wrong with training in Perth, getting on a later plane, have, have routine? So I built a routine into it. Once we'd... Once we'd uh, broken down some barriers, this this might stagger you, and it might be just a slightly not quite right, but it's close enough for the story. I was introduced to the play group, and there are eight tables with chairs around the tables. Yeah. Subiaco would have five players on an eight table, eight chair table. West Perth would have six. Um, South Fremantle. South, South Fremantle would have 15. East Fremantle would have 10. Why are they sitting so far apart? No way, no, they're going to sit together. They they still had this feel that they belonged to a – their domicile club was West Perth, East Perth, hated each other. Wow. I said, how do we bring this together? Like they won't even sit in the same room together. So it was really distinctive. So I thought when we travel, let's let's break it down. All the university kids that was doing uni sit sit together. Those that wanted to play um, cards sit together. Those that wanted to play those records or whatever they do sit together. So we started to break down barriers and started putting them in different rooms together, right. more by position. So all of a sudden, the back couple of backline players would be together, and they were East Fremantle, South Fremantle, and it started to build what I wanted was a team. And once we started to lay down the framework, it was important to let them know. I'm on board getting to your question. Mm. And 
one of the things I hated most was the, the, the club song. And I said, no, we've got to get rid of that club song. Because really? the wise men from the East. Uh-huh. I said, you're going to have, so- you're, going to, you're going to be recruiting a lot of Victorians, Tasmanians over the next 10 years. You can't have a song that bags West, uh, the East. Which they did. They changed. Because- <laughs> Makes sense. So, so we, so we, the detail. So we, we, we started to make us want to get to the MCG. Why, why can't we win at the MCG? Oh, they boo us. Why are they booing us? They cheer their own when they're winning. They only boo us when we're doing something that they don't want done. Let's, let's get them to boo the, from the moment we get there to the moment at the end. Smash them, k- kick goals, take them out of the game, do whatever you have to do to win games of football and have them boo us. And then we know we've won. Yeah. Um, so that didn't work the first game, Brian. We played Melbourne and got smashed. Right. But two weeks later we played Richmond and we won. From there on in, you know, once you break a barrier, it's broken. Mm. You break the brain barrier. Mm. So so that's so those little niggles were all about bringing us as one so that we, we felt we needed to feel invincible because we had the travelling. You know, a lot of people don't realise how hard travelling was. It's easy these days. It's it's hard, it's still hard from Western Australia, but a lot easier. Nineteen ninety, we did six in a row, six in a row. And yeah. As I said to the players going into ninety one, I don't care what they throw at us. You'll never ever in the history of sport in the world have such. And the last one was an airline strike. We flew from Perth to Kalgoorlie, Kalgoorlie Mildura, Mildura to Melbourne. <laughs> so. Um, did you win? No. You got smashed. <laughs> yeah, that was Brian was saying the other day on this podcast that um, he thinks football today is better than it has ever been. Would you agree with that or do you think <clears throat> there's an opposing? No, I, I think it's far from best, far from better. It's um, – I would um, – there's, there's, there's a dearth of players for a start off. We, we do not have players uh, playing at the same quality through the, the – uh, countryside or city, um, Tasmania in particular. Um, you, we're drafting 60 players at the moment. We used to draft 100. And they also, most of, a lot of them played. The 60, 40 might play, 20 don't play. Um, we have still got great kids coming through, but we don't have the depth coming through, and that is illustrated by a number of teams. Uh, a dear friend of mine coached West Australia under 16, Rob Wiley, through a state championship. Uh, in 2010 or 11 or something like that and had 109 sides to pick from. He went back, coached the same side and had 59 sides because they're all merged, uh, fallen over, no numbers. I asked – I, I won't name this bloke. I asked a very, very astute football person who played in this side and it's sometimes it's easier to say when you're playing a side it's, you get to get a bit distorted – I said, your side that played 10 years, 10, 15 years ago that won a premiership and your side has just won a premiership, what's the outcome of playing against each other? He said, we, we'd win by 10 goals. And that's something from 10. The, the, game, the game is not better. That's pretty comprehensive. Do you have a rebuttal, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I think I was talking more about the skill of the game. Right. You know, that they run faster, they're better kicks. Um, probably more the sk- skills of the game more, were no professional, not more professional. I I, I dispute that. I, I'm 
I think that... Um, you don't think they're more professional now than they were 20 years ago? No, 15 years ago, no, I do. When you look at someone like Scott Penderbury and, and these people who are turning over every rock to see if there's an, a competitive advantage underneath it, you, were people doing that 20 years ago? He, he was doing that. He was doing, he was doing that. that, yeah. He was doing that. I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, that when I've got a coach that comes to me and says it's very difficult to get maximum out of my player group because if their holidays are so vast and broad that I might have them for a month before Christmas. I've got to give them three lots of four days off. I, they can't start until they're – because the 27-year-olds can't start until this. The kids can't start until that. The AFL Players Association, as good as it is, has made rules that prohibit coaches from getting – the absolute – you talk about skill level. I, I could start – I could take a training camp in October, train up until Christmas Day, get them back in the new year. So it is absolute rubbish to think that that yesteryear, and I'm only talking 10, 15 years ago, didn't have the capacity to have more – it's all about time. The more time you put in, the better you get. You get, get swing your golf That's club. True. Um, if you're restricted in that and a lot's left up to you, yep, fine, there's going to be the Scott Penalbrys. There's going to be a lot that aren't Scott Penalbrys. But if they're in my charge, which they would be, or my assistant's charges, I can get them and we can work right through and have them ready by first game and we'll play the first four practice matches, which are called uh, NSEC Cup games or NAB games or whatever the games they, they, they are. Then we go into the full season. You're not going to get me that today's footballers are better prepared. They're more likely to be injured because they don't do, they haven't got the groundwork that we used to put in. Now, you might say it was over, it's the fatigue factor. That's true, but the season's longer. It doesn't have to be, the season's hands are longer. Well, it's 24 rounds now and and, and with a buy, two buys in it, so it actually goes for 26 weeks. Yeah, that does not make it better. That makes it, it's, it's an interesting, players reckon that they, it's, the season's too long and yet they'll take the next, next game because, they, can, they, get, mm, they get paid more. They get paid more. Yeah. Well, don't, don't, you won't get me on that. You, won't, you yeah. won't get me on, yes, going back to 1980 grand final compared to, to, to 1992 grand final to the 2002 grand final. Yeah. The best side I've ever seen, and I, and I would say right now, um, would whop most sides, is the 2001-2. Sides that played Brisbane. Brisbane side. The Brisbane yeah. side. The Brisbane That's side. That's the best side I've seen. Right. Yeah. Was on that. Was there an, um when you were a coach? Was there an opposition player that you just couldn't get a hold of? You you just throw your arms up and say, I, I can't, can't. We can't. We out. can't work this person out. Or, uh, or you just marvel at. No, I'm inspired by my players, and I was quite inspired by some other players. Um, no, you you, you got to work. You got to work a system. Oh, look, I double tag players, and I, I'm. There's this uh, Burgoyne, Sean Burgoyne was having a day out. And he had plenty of days out. He had a day out against us. So I thought, out of left field, I thought, we'll double tag him as stoppages. And, and, you know, the match could be going, oh, well, the bloke will fall out the back and he'll be getting, no, the, the Bruckman is so used to hitting it where Burgoyne was and Burgoyne will get where the ball is. We'll take him We'll take him away from the ball with two players. Joe Mercedes was one in the, in the I First half, I put up with him just slaughtering us, put double teamed him. Uh, yet someone else fell out, but they didn't use him because they were so used to going to Mercedes. We won the Burgoyne game, Port Adelaide, and I think we may have just lost the Essendon game. 
So there's there's no one. I look. There's there's been players that have had big days. Yeah. But I don't go. Well, they're going to keep having big days because you've got to then think around it. Do you stop him getting the football, or do you put a different player on him, or whatever the case may be? You know, the Kerry Jackovich ones were the greatest ones that you want to watch and yeah. see how it unfolds. But you always want it to unfold your way. Um, I'm Glenn Jackovich got slaughtered one day, but we still won. And, and that was a lesson for him. That, that, you know, he'd come in more mumbling. As I said to him, mate, we've won the game. Yeah, you got your pants pulled in. Learn from it, but we've won the game. I yeah. mm. say as you've been best on the ground and we get beaten. So it's little things like that. You know, Ablett was always hard, but if you – I worked on the theory, if you can keep his kicks up the top end, not the middle end. Same with Buckley. We used to tag Buckley on the, on the, on the back half, not the front half. So um, you, you've just got to work through those things. Mm. But, but admire them, admire them all the same. My last question, Mick, is how important is it for a coach and how did you see it to have a, a really loyal lieutenant, someone that stood by you? I, I, I think of like Cook and Nesbitt over in the Eagles. I think of um, Barmy yeah. at Collingwood and, you know, those sort of people. Yeah, yeah. Well... I reckon if you went back over the last, we'll go last 20 years, there's a common denominator. You've got to have a board that's got, and it doesn't always work, Brian. It doesn't mean because you've got this set up as you're going to win a premiership, but more than likely you've got a chance to win your premiership. There is there is the odd time when you will win a premiership when when things aren't necessarily in line. Yeah. But by and large, you need a board that's got a good direction, that understands that they've got the faith in the administrations, uh, administrators who in turn allow the football department to run its to run its course, course yeah. not, not not run itself yeah run its course I think there's a real fallacy here to think that the coach should run the club that is the biggest furphy and it should never ever happen we've all got a decision we've all got positions and we should play that play the role that's within the organization you need you need to have real faith in your right hand man Right. And that's your football operations manager. You need him stand. In fact, the phone, phone call, mine wasn't on Brian, but come through was Trevor Nisbet. Uh-huh. Great faith in him. Yeah. Um, He's your eyes and ears as well, isn't he? What was, what was his role? He was a football operations manager in my early days at West Coast. He'd become yeah. a CEO, of course, uh, towards the end of it. So you need that sort of person. You need assistant coaches, regardless of what they view, when they walk out, they go, you're right. Because you can be fundamentally wrong. If well, they, you need them to be yes men. If you you're saying no, that. not not in a way. That's very interesting. In the meeting, open up, but when we walk out and we've made the decision, we've all got to be together. You've got to be because you don't want players coming. But but so and so said that. No, if I ever heard that, that would be so disappointing. Right. Uh, then you need you need your player group um, because you're tw- in these days. You need twenty three players, and you know the twenty three you pick are going to be pretty much on your side. Your 24th player is going to be the most disappointed player. Yeah. You don't want your 24th player being an angry, behind-the-scenes snake in the grass. And believe me, that's happening mm. at every club, it, particularly it, as finals come it, around. It happens. So you so you need your leaders to be able to make sure that 24th player... Is still on board, yeah. yeah. But you also need every player to be truthful because they're common, the common thing, and you would have heard this, oh, they don't talk to me. Yeah. So... I make it a point, every match community I've ever been to, 
that we discuss every player and say, have we spoken to the player? Not, hello, how are you going? And how's your, your, your right knee? To the point where even at Carlton, I had every player's name up next to him comments about his game and then two initial spots. One for the player to initial to say, yep, I've had that feedback and the other one from the coach to say, I've... And if we got there on Friday and and saw a gap, you'd either get the coach to go in, see him, or or ring him. What was next next to Dylan Buckley's name? What was next to Dylan? Or in his building. Given that he runs this building. (laughs) Oh, it would be... um, could, can't find his position. Is he a back man or is he a forward man? <laughs> so we, He's we, a wanderer. <laughs> was David Butterfin a part of that at Collingwood in terms of like that well, confidant at the club? Well, yeah. When you've got a fitness person, you've got to, the players have got to believe in what he's doing for them. So by and large, players are selfish, right? By and large. They don't know it, but they are selfish. They're injured. Let's say they're injured. They want first crack at the physio. They want the physio to treat them first. I've got to be out there this week. I need you. They will ring all types of hours and all this sort of stuff. David, I need to be. I need, Mick reckons I've got to be five pounds or five kilos heavier. Can you get? You know, can you do a bit more work with me during January to to, to March? I, I just, you know, like I'm, I'm going from being a back pocket. And I'm going to go into the middle. And it's going to be a bit tougher in there. I need a bit, bit more. So they want that. So. Yeah, but so does Freddie and so does Jack. Oh, no, yeah, but, but no, no, let me do it first. You know, so the balancing act there for those sort of blokes is to make sure that every player thinks that you are looking after him first. And it's the same in coaching, that you've addressed all their issues. And, and we have a common th- thing that is also very, very common, that the better the player, the more expectations and probably the least times you go, well done. And how hard is it to say, well done? Because they also need feedback yeah, sure. to say, well done. We, you know, we really, really appreciate it. Because they don't get it that often. Whereas yeah. the, the 40 player goes, oh, mate, you've had a day out today. That's fantastic. And he feels great about himself. But the first bloke who's just busted his guts for 10 weeks in a row. So there's a lot of methodology things. I have one other question. You're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. But when, when I just went very briefly to Collingwood uh, at the request of someone, I forget who asked me down there, to, to, to do a little bit of kicking, I, I, I take that as an art and I think I'm good at teaching just that tiny aspect of the game, right? Set shot goal kicking very in particular. You're invited to come and talk to the So I'm invited to go down to Collingwood by Mick and his staff. I do that and Mick and I said, well, who, you know, I'd like to have maybe two half-hour sessions a week with two or three players. Um, and Mick said, well, look, you need to go and sort that out with the head of fitness, David Butterfin, who's a fantastic fella, great guy. What did he give you 10 minutes, he? And he said to me, and un- unbeknownst to you, I went in there and I said, now, look, I need Anthony Rocker for, uh, for this. Man. I need him for, you know, maybe uh, half an hour. He said, no, look, this is the way it works. You can have Anthony Rocker for six kicks. <laughs> you can have Leon Davis for five kicks. You can have him for 10 kicks. Don't go the 11th because, you know, go nine instead of 10 actually with him. <laughs> this has and, got to be an exaggeration. And, no, this is true. And so, Mick, I'm thinking to myself, it can't work. No. And we wonder why set shot goal kicking oh. doesn't get better. It is because you, the coaches of AFL football, are being governed by the fitness advisors saying, no, they haven't got time to train that aspect of the game. Yeah. It's frustrating, Mick. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, no, no. 
Yeah. On reflection, you're right, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, right. Mick, so we can't do this show without our great sponsors um, who are Grimley's. So yes. Grimley's are a construction and fastening company in Victoria. Deliver same day. Unbelievable. Incredible delivery. Um, Grimley's port of call is that they go above and beyond. So above and beyond the call of duty. When has someone um, in your life, professional or personal, gone above and beyond? Can and don't remember? say Brian. One, does one come to mind above and beyond to help you or the team or? Your you wives know. are generally the ones. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you yeah. go. Talk us through. Wives and family, they go. Nanette, I, Nanette, and the kids, they go. They go above and beyond. Nearly every week because is, always is she the man? Is she the woman behind the man in yep. terms of yep. the steer oh, of the ship? Most definitely. Yep. yep. She's as strong as they come. <laughs> is she making the calls? In consultation, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, she could pick a better team than you and I, and she would be on a par with the coach here, with the super coach. She knows her. Footy. She's you know, privy to all the conversations. You know she says that. She says, and she's right. She says. After listening to, she listens to me. And she goes, "Now I know how much I don't know." So, so she knows her. <laughs> she knows her position as well. Anyway, it's been great to be fifty-three years, Harrison, at the elite level, from debuting as a player mm. to now, because Mick hasn't left the game. He's been involved in the media since. Uh, is is there one thing you've learnt being on the other side in the last few years since yeah. you haven't been coaching? Yeah, there's no pressure on you. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. And you can make a prediction and by Monday it's forgotten about. <laughs> 30 seasons as a coach, you know, and and Harrison, 20 of those. In America, coaches are determined by what they call winning seasons. That is, have you won more games in that year than you've lost? And that's how you get marked as a coach in America in professional sports. Mick, out of 30 seasons, had 20 winning years, won more games in the year than he than he lost. It is an incredible record. As I said, eight grand finals. It's it's absolutely amazing. Games three coach record. Yeah, three premierships uh, as a coach, one as a player, um, eight grand finals, you know, to get eight looks at it. How, how bloody incredible is that? Eight looks at a grand final, eight opportunities to win. Um, it's bloody incredible clear uh, career, Mick, so w well done. I don't know how it all started. I don't know why you didn't take us with you when, when we all could have got out of Richmond at that time because from 82 onwards, Harrison, when Mick left, guess what? Dried up. 33 years, I think it was, or 30-odd years of drought it was, wasn't it? Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Really Thanks, Mick. Enjoyed it. Mick Malthouse.